This could be really big. Stories by Torn Lucas. El Camino, part one. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Counting down in your head calms you down. The sight of chocolate across the cheeks of your three-year-old shouldn't cause you a panic. You stare at her in the rear of your mirror. The words of something serious and fatherly begin to form, but your mouth goes slack. Three, two, one. You decide this isn't panic. But maybe it's fear. Maybe you should downgrade it to just a worry. But because your ears are throbbing and you feel a tightness in your chest, it probably is fear. But an old fear, a memory fear, which you can't place. Your wife is next to you. You should talk. You should check to see if she bought the chocolate bar. But you know she didn't. She's a doctor. Sugar is devil food for her, and she keeps it under strict control. Not a total banishment, but you only eat chocolate in the den at night. Maybe pull over the car and have a learning talk. But you keep driving. Think it through. Calm down first. The traffic light up ahead is turning yellow, a chance to take a minute and figure out why your teeth are gripped in a locked jaw and the sound of your heart is banging in your ears. Let your thoughts refocus. The ear thing is something that you've had most of your life on and off. Your ears begun to bang and throb back when you were a kid growing up on Aaron Avenue in Ottawa. It's cold there in winter, so sore ears are not unusual, but you remember explaining to your friend that it's not the outside, it's the inside of the ear. Oh, sure, said your friend Peggy Bonapache. It's actually your neck that causes it. It's the muscles in your neck that are getting tense and spreading through your ears. You remember that Peggy Bonapache would become a massage therapist later in life, so it doesn't surprise you that in her brain all issues would be caused by something in the muscles. You need to wrap your head with a scarf like this, she had said and demonstrated how to cinch a long girl scarf into a sort of ear turban. But this wasn't something your 11-year-old self wanted to do. Nah, you said, but thanks. At that time, you had started to go into training for the military. The military would be an option one day in the future. Who knew about the Russians back then, anyway? It could go nuclear. You could save people and seriously increase your pocket money. So you wouldn't wear a headscarf. You needed to get in shape. That was all. A little kid in the second grade had actually called you fat. But kids that age could say anything. The lights up ahead are turning red and you're slowing the car to a stop. You check your daughter again in the rear view. You can see she's obviously loving the chocolate bar, focused like a shark on a piece of something fleshy. But she stole it. There's no other explanation unless someone creepy bought it for her, which is just not possible. The beating in your ears is dying down. The light turns green. Stealing is something that will need to be talked about. Steal a chocolate bar today without repercussions, and it could slide into something else bigger next time. A behavior issue, even a lifestyle, then prison. You're the father, the authority figure, just like your father was to you. And then it hits you. It was the winter of 1982, and the night your father called from Egypt, you were 11 years old. Your mother had taken the call, and you heard her say, he doesn't want to speak to you because he's afraid. Your mother wore her kimono and her curlers, her usual nighttime regime. He says that where you come from, they cut people's hands off if they steal. You felt the beating in your ears. 
You were standing half in and half outside of the living room. You were parked there with your mum, but you could easily slip back into your bedroom where the door was ajar. A quick glance and you could see the book on your pillow. You had been reading a series of books about three investigators, kids that solve stuff about crimes. You wanted to be an investigator at that time, maybe instead of the military, which made the idea of your stealing all the more of an outrage, to be suspected. Your mother turned to you in a serious way, her hand over the receiver. He wants to talk to you, she said. No, Mom, this is all a serious mistake. Then you can tell him that. Hello, you said in the receiver, imagining your father in some Egyptian hotel room in his undershirt with a circling fan overhead. Michael exhaled your father. He was smoking. You could tell that right away. Yes, Dad. He was about to say something else, something serious, which you wouldn't be able to take away after. If he had said something, it always became the law and couldn't be taken away, even if he was proven wrong afterwards which happened a lot. It wasn't me, you said. This is all a big mistake. It was Richard Bradley and David Gladbin. I'd been framed, you said. Son? Yes, Dad. Stealing is wrong. Your mother and I forgive you, but you're not to do it again. Do you understand? I understand, but just don't do it again. Okay. And son, you will be going back to the pharmacy with Richard and return everything and apologize. You pushed your tongue hard against the ridgy bit on the roof of your mouth and stay quiet. You were thinking of the pharmacist, a scary-looking man with wireframe glasses. Your mother took the phone back to speak to your father. You stood there, meaning to listen, but your thoughts are still picturing the pharmacist. He had the kind of sharp nose and slick back hair that a carnival spooky house manager might have. The last thing he needs is a kid stealing toys. He probably doesn't even know there are toys in the pharmacy because he deals with people who are dying who needed their medicine. You might be going to jail. You might keep your hand from being cut off because this was Canada, but you'd have a criminal record at the very least and forget about ever becoming a detective. This stealing incident was the kind of thing that could ruin a kid. It gave you a panic feeling that just sat there until it turned into fear. The kind of fear that goes inside your bones and turns into old cobwebs. Why is he in Egypt anyway, you said, as your mum put down the phone. Because your grandmother has died. You knew this already, but it seems to you that he should be here, in Canada, to talk to the pharmacist if he wanted to. Was she Muslim, you said. No, she's Christian, like us. He should be here. Or why aren't we there? It's too cold. It's too cold here. You put the car in gear and drive through the intersection. You look over to see your wife. She's fast asleep. Getting married is the best thing that has happened to you. Sure, you'd probably have gone to Vegas a few more times and been able to drink more beer, but she's a loving wife and a great mum. You tell everyone that she's a doctor. You find it just slips into conversations because you're proud. She takes care of you and the girls. The ear thing is one small example. She's explained that it's a capillary constriction. It causes you pain due to an increase of blood flow in your ear. It makes sense. She's recommended more exercise. You don't take this to mean she thinks you're fat. Sure, you're a bit overweight, but this is okay, too. Lucky, you say to yourself. You know you're lucky because when you were a kid growing up in Ottawa, you came to learn what a girl could do if you weren't careful, like getting kicked in the balls. You don't remember the name of the girl who kicked you the first time, but you still remember the letters ACDC scrawled across the back of her jean jacket. She was way tougher than you. 
It would be until you were at least 16 before you could be at the same tough level. Maybe ever. You realize later that you should have talked to her, recruited her to your side in a reverse psychology detective way that you'd been reading about. Instead, she kind of kicked off a trend. Sometime later, you would come to school wearing a jock. You wanted to make a point, mainly, but you hadn't thought it through. The plan backfired and led to more kicks aimed at your crotch. You were wearing a jock, but it still hurt. A lot. Girls confused you. Some seemed soft and caring. Others not so much. It was important that you understood better. A detective needs to understand motives and personality types. Besides, you might be having sex soon. You've even heard two kids in grade 8 have been caught in the gym equipment room, naked. You needed to be better prepared. It turned out later, through your own investigations, that most of the girls that kicked you were discovered smoking cigarettes on the roof of the school. This seemed like evidence of something about them, but it still didn't explain why you'd been targeted. The morning after talking to your dad, you found yourself looking through the school bus window. You were watching what looked like an argument between Mrs. Haley, the school bus driver, and a man standing next to a blue El Camino. He was accompanying a girl you recognized as being from the fifth grade. The El Camino is the kind of car that is half truck, half car. It's one of the vehicles that you decide is, is mainly used by criminals. The man had a beard and sunglasses, and his angry words came out of his mouth in tufts of steam in the cold. The bus driver is wearing a bandana on her head and has her own angry tufts of steam to contribute to the air. She took the girl by the hand and marched her stiffly to the curbside and guides her gently onto the bus. The girl sat down beside you. You decided that this was going to be a good opportunity, as good as any opportunity to get to know girls more, and since she was a grade higher than you, she would be easy to avoid in case she decided you were stupid or suspicious. Did you hear about the two kids that were caught in the gym, you said, wanting to get right into talking about important things. Caught doing what, said the girl. Oh, just goofing off, you said, realizing any mention of naked grade 8 kids would sound creepy, especially as you realized that she was wearing a nice patterned dress and her fingernails were perfectly pink and white and her pencil case looked like it had been through the wash. You thought that her mom would have made sure that she was taken care of and looked after. That's what girls needed, you thought. You don't even have a pencil case, and you haven't washed your hands since yesterday. Mums are good to have around, you said, changing the subject to something you knew more about, and how your mom had promised you pizza for dinner later. When you noticed that the girl hadn't responded, you looked over to see that her head was looking down. Her dark hair concealed her face, but you knew she'd heard you. When she turned to you, her eyes were wet and her mouth turned in a sad way. Yes, she said. My mom is cherished by me. The girl turned her head again to her pencil case. This, this was something to think through carefully. Cherished. Not a word you'd hear kids say. Ever. You know when people got married, they might say cherished. The priest would say it at weddings or when someone dies. But you hadn't known anyone to die or what was said for sure, except on TV. Your detective mind turned over the thought until you'd come to think that maybe the girl's mum might be in some sort of trouble. Why else say, cherished? This worried you and caused you to say, I love my mum too. 
You wanted to solve the puzzle, but you were also afraid of uncovering something that the girl might want secret. Is your mom okay, you asked, unable to help yourself from saying something? No, she said. The two of you sat in silence for a long time. You watched the bus pass through the neighborhoods blanketed with snow. You wanted to close the case. You'd begun to wish you weren't such a good detective. So to settle it, you said, she's in the hospital. You said it in a way that didn't need a response. But the girl turned to you. My mom is driving the bus, she said, and smiled. I'm Maria. I'm Michael. My mom's name is Sandra. You mean Mrs. Haley? No, she lets me call her Sandra. You look over to the bus driver at her orange bandana and then out the window. Was that your dad, you said? Yeah. He drives an El Camino. He loves that car more than anything. He looked really mad. Yeah, he's supposed to be getting my mom's medicine for her pain, but he can't afford it. He says the church isn't helping him anymore. He thought of what it would be like to have a pain that needs medicine, and what it would be like to need something from someone who drove an El Camino. Do you think he's a criminal, you asked. Maria looked away quickly back to her pencil case. You realized this was a stupid thing to say. There must be many law-abiding Al Camino drivers. Maria said, I don't want to talk about him. The two of you remained quiet for the remainder of the bus ride. Maria said goodbye to you as she got up to leave, and you thought maybe she'd talk to you again. You had sat on the green seat, wondering what to do with the things you'd learned. You should do something, you thought. You had felt it was wrong to suggest her dad was a criminal. Even if Maria's reaction proved that he probably was, that's why she didn't want to talk about it. You sat there long enough to be the last kid on the bus. The others had filed out and entered the schoolyard on the other side of the chain-link fence. You conjured up in your mind the kind of sadness you might have if you lost your dad, if he got put into an Egyptian prison because he was Christian. You wondered what it would be like if your mom had to go to hospital, what it would be like if your mom fell down the stairs and died. The thoughts frightened you, but you allow yourself to feel it, till it began to fade. Hey, slowpoke, the bus driver called you from her driver's seat up front. Don't want to go to school today, she laughed. You got up. You felt funny, heavy, and slow. You stopped next to the bus driver, Maria's mom. You wanted to say something. You looked over to her sideways. You looked at her headband that sat tight over her scalp where there should be hair, but you knew there wasn't any. You knew this meant she had the cancer. Her skin seemed tight, pulled over a thin face. You think you should say something. You wanted to say something, but you looked away. And then the worst thing that could have happened, happened. Hot tears began to form in your eyes. There was nothing to stop it. Your sight blurred. You still wanted to say something, but you couldn't, not then. You turned to leave. Hey there, Maria's mum had you gently by the arm. You're Michael, she said. You wiped your eyes and refocused on her face. She had a mum face, soft and concerned. She was thinking of you, not for herself, not her pain. I'm sorry, you said. What are you to be sorry for? Because your husband doesn't have your medicine. Is that what Maria's told you? Yes, she said, embarrassed. You wanted to leave, but
but you also felt that you should stay, maybe five more seconds or maybe ten seconds. Well, he's not my husband, she smiled. Not anymore. We forgive people who disappoint us, don't we? He thought of your dad and nodded slowly. And when the time comes, we let them go. He thought of your mom at the bottom of the stairs. I'm sad that you're in pain, you said. Maria's mum smiled. You can let all that go, she said, and opened the bus door. I'll be just fine. You step down and out of the bus. You walk through the school gate and pass a group of children taking turns sliding across a patch of ice that formed in the grass. You walk past a circle of girls who shift their eyes in your direction. One of them had the letters ACDC scrawled on the back of her jean jacket. Something had happened on the bus that morning. Something that was big. Somehow you knew it was big. If you knew what it was, you'd do something about it. One of the girls shouted over to you, Nice snow pants! For most kids, snow pants were out by grade four, so she was making a clever observation. But the truth was, your mum was afraid of Ottawa winter. She was worried you'd die of leg freeze without the snow pants. Walking past those girls, you realize that it's easy for people to throw insults from inside a pack of friends, to be cruel, to be smart, or whatever. But if they stop to think for a second, really think about the things most everyone carried inside them, things that you feel but are hidden away, then maybe things would be different. Maybe that was what was uncovered on the bus. And now you could do something, something just as big.